Make no mistake about it. We are here because certain members on the other side of the aisle want a shutdown. They even said they want a shutdown. Ever since uh, I was in high school 30 years ago, we've had five government shutdowns. All five took place under House Republican leadership. Yeah, but I still blame Democrats or Joe Biden or something. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. I- from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., uh, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, All right, coming up, uh, full coverage, or as uh, much as it's worth, of Wednesday night's second GOP presidential primary debate will be on our next program. Buckle up, babies. Yes, please do. Hi, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Hi. But um, at the moment, we are just days away at this point from what appears to be another Republican government shutdown. And yet, incredibly enough, new polling out today suggests that Americans are blaming Democrats and Joe Biden Surprise. for it. Uh, yeah, seriously, that cannot be right. And if so, why is that? And is this shutdown clearly by Republicans in the U.S. House any different from previous such shutdowns? Author, congressional historian, and all-around good egg, the great Norm Ornstein will join us shortly with much insight on all of that. But a couple of quick follow-ups first today, beginning with the news that broke just minutes before airtime on our previous broadcast, the, yes, stunning ruling by New York Judge Arthur Engeron in State Attorney General Letitia James's $250 million civil fraud suit against Donald Trump, The Trump Organization, his two eldest sons, Don Jr. and Eric, and a couple of top executives at the company. The uh, news that Judge Engron had ruled against Trump 
and everyone else in the summary judgment phase of the case on Tuesday on the central fraud claim that is put forward by the New York Attorney General before the trial even begins. It's set to begin on Monday. That news was stunning enough on its own. But as the judge's ruling was published just moments before airtime, I hadn't gotten to actually read it first, though Desi had been able to catch a few clips from the ruling and some commentary on, on Twitter, suggesting that the judge had essentially decertified the Trumps and his organization from actually doing bit actually controlling a number of his own main properties in New York which seems so stunning to me Des when you when you brought it up that I actually added a bunch of caveats uh <laughs> because I thought surely that could not be right I, I mean you know it, I know it, it was, was so <laughs> stunning I had trouble believing I was like okay I know I can read but I'm not a lawyer so maybe it doesn't mean what the plain text apparently means Exactly and I you know and I hadn't gotten to, to read the full ruling so who knows and I don't want to ever give out bad information but it turns out it actually was right and uh, frankly it 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 seemed so stunning that I think many in the mainstream press even now are sort of downplaying it all in in fact I think it was so bad for Trumps for the Trumps the Trump family that Uh, Many are still being incredibly cautious and or conservative in their coverage because it just seems so bad for Trump that surely this cannot be really happening. Right. Well, the court is is not really going to be taking away control of major Trump empire properties from from Trump and his sons and his company. Uh, Is it? Well, it really is, at least according to Judge Engron's 35 page ruling. Now, there will be appeals on all of this, and of course, there are still issues to be adjudicated at trial, and the full breadth of the penalties is still to be determined. Tis James wants, in addition to fining uh, the Trumps at least $250 million, to essentially dissolve their ability to do business in New York ever again. And as I read the actual ruling on summary judgment from Engeron, uh, on a Tuesday night after we got off the air, boy, it looks like she is well on her way. Judge Engron will oversee the trial himself beginning next week. It's a non-jury trial, so this is the guy who's going to be making uh, the final verdicts in this case. It'll be up to him, and based on my reading of his summary judgment ruling, after overseeing this case at this point now for several years, he is, let's say... Out of cares in the world. <laughs> That's not the word I would use. When I it, would say he is out of Fs to give. There you go. Well, when he it, has no Fs left. Uh, he, not for the for Trump or his attorneys, it seems, uh, who, by the way, he also sanctioned the uh, attorneys with fines in his ruling yesterday for, co- uh, for coming back repeatedly with arguments that had been previously rejected time and again by this same judge. Describing uh, the defendants in this ruling as, uh, quote, invoking the time loop in the film Groundhog Day. The judge described the uh, defendants' arguments for summary judgment to toss out the entire case as, quote, pure sophistry, not relevant, patently false, fatally flawed, simply untrue, completely irrelevant. (laughs) Other than that, how do you feel about it, Judge? (laughs) Uh, at, At one point, he noted, quote, 
One would not know from reading defendants' papers that this court has already twice ruled against these arguments and called them frivolous. And quote, We are at the point of intentional and blatant disregard of controlling authority and law of the case. Quote, defendants respond that the documents do not say what they say, that there is no such thing as objective value, and that essentially the court should not believe its own eyes. Adding in a snarky footnote, quote, as Chico Marx playing Ciccolini says to Margaret Dumont playing Mrs. Gloria Teasdale in Duck Soup, quote, well, who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? As I said, out of cares in the world <laughs> regarding the arguments being made by Team Trump here. And here is a fun passage. Exacerbating defendants' obstreperous conduct is their continued reliance on bogus arguments in papers and oral argument. In defendants' world, rent-regulated apartments are worth the same as unregulated apartments. Restricted land is worth the same as unrestricted land. Restrictions can evaporate into thin air. A disclaimer by one party casting responsibility on another party exonerates the other party's lies. The Attorney General of the State of New York does not have capacity to sue or standing to sue, never mind all those cases where the Attorney General has sued successfully, under a statute expressly designed to provide that right, all illegal acts are untimely if they stem from one untimely act, and square footage itself is subjective. That is a fantasy world, not the real world. That's the judge who's going to be ruling on Donald Trump's and the Trump Organization and his kids' uh, uh, fraud trial in just a few days. The level of fraud that is detailed in Engron's ruling is frankly breathtaking. Focused on what Trump had been claiming for years when issuing these so-called Statements of Financial Condition, or SFCs, and in doing so, inflating the net worth of all of his properties to be used as collateral when he was trying to get bank loans, which is fraud. Just to give you an idea, Engeron detailed, quote, Further, defendants' assertion that the discrepancies between their valuations and the Office of the Attorney General's are Im immaterial, that is nonsense. What OAG, that's the Attorney General, what OAG has established in many cases by clear, indisputable documentary evidence is not a matter of rounding errors or reasonable experts disagreeing. OAG has submitted conclusive evidence that between 2014 and 2021, defendants overvalued the assets reported in their SFCs between 17 and 38 percent. This amounts to a discrepancy of between 812 million and 2.2 billion dollars. Even in the world of high finance, the judge writes, this court cannot endorse a proposition that finds a misstatement of at least $812 million to be, quote, immaterial. Uh, here's another uh, one. Uh, this is how uh, Trump and the organization and the kids uh, committed fraud in the uh, Statement of Financial Conditions, or SFCs, regarding his Seven Springs estate. Defendant uh, Seven Springs LLC owns over 200 acres of contiguous land in the towns of Bedford, Newcastle, and Northcastle in Westchester County, New York. In 2000, 
The uh, Royal Bank of Pennsylvania appraised the as-is market value of Seven Springs to be $25 million if it was converted to residential development. In 2006, the same bank performed a new appraisal, which showed Seven Springs had an as-is market value of $30 million. In 2014, because the Trump Organization was considering donating uh, a con conservation easement, it retained another uh, assessment from Cushman and Wakefield to provide a range of values for Seven Springs. The appraiser analyzed the sale of eight lots in Bedford, six lots in Newcastle, and ten lots in North Castle, and determined their fair market value for all 24 lots was approximately $30 million, notwithstanding receiving market values from professional appraisals in 2000, 2006, 2012, and 2014, valuing Seven Springs at, at or below $30 million, Donald Trump's 2011 Statement of Financial Condition reported the value to be $261 million. Wow. From $30 million to $260 million. That's quite an increase there. And it went up higher. in 20, uh, His 2012, 13, and 14 SFCs reported the value to be $291 million. <laughs> wow. Here's another one. Trump Organization ground lease at 40 Wall Street. In 2010, Cushman and Wakefield appraised the Trump Organization's interest in 40 Wall Street at $200 million. They appraised it again in 2011 and 2012, reaching values between $200 and $220 million. The Trump Organization possessed and was familiar with these appraisals, and yet despite them, the 2011 and 2012 SFCs valued the Trump Organization's interest in the property at Five hundred and twenty-four million and five hundred and twenty-seven million, respectively, an overvaluation of more than three hundred million in each year. That was close, just three hundred million off on a two hundred million dollar property, and it goes on uh, for from twenty eleven to twenty twenty one. This is Mar-a-Lago. The Palm Beach County Assessor appraised the market value of Mar-a-Lago at between $18 million and $27.5 million. So $18 to $27.5 million, the value of Mar-a-Lago, according to Palm Beach County's assessor. Nonetheless, Trump's SFCs for those same years from 2011 to 2021 value Mar-a-Lago at between $426 million and... $612 million, an overvaluation, the judge notes, of at least 2,300%. So they went from $18 million from the assessor to yeah. more than half a billion dollars. Correct. Yeah, it was close. You know, it's objective. Uh, so, yeah, you get the idea, which is why at the end of the ruling, Engron found against Trump on these on this key issue of fraud and a quote ordered that any business certificates filed by any of the entity defendants or by any other entity controlled or beneficially owned by Donald J. Trump, Donald Trump, Jr., Eric Trump, Alan Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney. Those are the two executives are canceled by the order of the judge, and it is further ordered that within 10 days of the date of this order, the parties are directed to recommend the names of no more than three potential independent receivers to manage the dissolution 
of the canceled LLCs, which include a whole bunch of Trump properties. And this is before the full trial has even begun. Uh, that doesn't start until next Monday. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we so rarely see the corporate death penalty, which I think is what this is. We so rarely Almost, see it. It yeah. seems kind of impossible that it actually actually happened. And I think that had a lot to do with, well, you know, the way I uh, heard it when you uh, reported on the show as it was just breaking on our on our previous show. It, I feel like in reading a lot of the coverage from places like New York Times, AP and so forth, it seems like they're downplaying all of this. Maybe I don't know. Maybe there's something I'm missing missing. But uh, and as I said, he, Trump will appeal it and there is more to come in the actual trial. But boy, howdy. Uh, you know, I know that Trump obviously cares a lot about is terrified about going to jail in those criminal cases. But, you know, he maybe makes himself feel better by thinking that he could somehow get out of it if he can become president or something. But if his properties are taken away from him, as it looks like they will be, barring some reversal on appeal or some such, that's going to leave a mark. That is going to hurt him a lot. So, uh, you know, a lot of people watching the criminal cases, understandably. Uh, and we're just you know, getting breaking news that Judge Tanya Chutkin, who is overseeing the federal case of uh, Trump attempting to steal the 2020 election, that she has declined to uh, recuse herself from the case, as Trump had requested. So I know a lot of people are watching those uh, criminal cases, but don't underestimate this uh, these civil cases. No, he's not going to go to jail at the end of them, but boy, he could lose everything after the judge, before the trial has even started, uh, you know, has essentially found that his entire empire that he built everything on, including his presidency, was all a fraud. At least the parts that are based in New York. Yeah. And so it's interesting how it's being downplayed uh, by a bunch of folks in in the media. But uh, read that uh, read that uh, <laughs> ruling. I will link to it when we post the show at Brad blog tonight. All right. So more good news before we get to my guest uh, on Tuesday night. Board members from the Writers Union, that's the Writers Guild of America, approved a contract agreement with the studios bringing the industry at least partly back from a historic halt in production that went on for nearly five months. The three-year agreement with studios, producers, and streaming services includes significant wins in all of the main areas that writers had fought for. Compensation, length of employment, size of staffs, control of artificial intelligence, uh, matching or nearly equaling what they had sought at the outset of the strike, according to AP. Workers, in fact, hung together against huge corporations like Disney and NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery, Netflix, etc., and those workers won. Now, the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, they are still on strike against those same companies, so not everything will be able to get back to full production uh, right away, but the late-night hosts 
plan their return by, well, actually this week. Bill Maher announced Wednesday that his HBO show, Real Time, would be back on the air Friday. The hosts of NBC's uh, The Tonight Show, starring Jimmy Fallon, Late Night with Seth Meyers, ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live, and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on CBS, all had announced they will all return, all of them, by Monday. And uh, on Sunday, last week tonight with John Oliver on HBO, will be returning as well. The plans for some late-night shows were not immediately clear. Shows like Saturday Night Live and The Daily Show and Comedy Central, because those are scripted shows with union actors uh, who are on strike. So they, unfortunately, I think, will remain off-air for a while as that strike continues. But I, for one, will welcome... Some of the late night shows back on the air, if only to distract us from what is almost certainly going to be a very long federal government shutdown beginning this weekend. Thanks to Republicans trying to burn it all down. Yes, Republicans. And if you don't believe me, well, you can just listen to Republican House Speaker Kev McCarthy. Uh, He was speaking to a reporter on Sunday this week conceding that the far-right members of his own House GOP caucus uh, won't allow any spending bills to come up for a vote because why? Well, because they want a government shutdown. Last week you said that these holdouts are trying to burn the place down. Do you still feel that way? Well, if you're holding out now, you're trying to get a person into a shutdown. You, you've been stopping the bills from ever coming up. I don't know how you stand up and then say, well, he hasn't brought him up. It's almost that they they want to walk you into a shutdown, then blame you for the shutdown. Now, uh, to be clear, they want to walk you into a shutdown and blame you for the shutdown. He's talking about members of his own caucus, Republicans in the House. Blaming them for what is apparently going to be a government shutdown. But that was Sunday, Kevin McCarthy. And then just two days later on Tuesday, well, McCarthy just tried to shift blames some somehow out of thin air from his uh, from his own caucus who want a shutdown to President Biden somehow. Somehow it's his fault because he won't completely change U.S. government policy at the border to placate placate House uh, hostage takers by agreeing to a House bill that could not even be passed in the U.S. Senate, much less even reach Biden's desk. Why wouldn't the president, all he has to do is reverse the actions that he has taken that have failed. He can systematically himself say, you know what, I want to keep government open. If the president wants to shut the government down because he thinks the border should continue to run like this, I don't know. So but you can't pass. If the president wants to <laughs> shut the government down. See what yeah. he did there? That was some pretty major gaslighting we, going on. We see you, Kevin McCarthy. So uh, in any event, who is really to blame for the federal government shutdown that is almost certain to happen within days? And who will actually be blamed for it. We will discuss that and much more straight ahead with congressional historian Norm Ornstein. Right here on the broadcast. That's next. I'm Brad Friedman.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, they are. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, well, let's start right here. We do not desire a shutdown. I yield back to the gentleman. Speaker, a previous speaker just said that no Republican member wants a shutdown. I have the quotes right here, which I will submit for the record when I'm done. One House Republican said, let's shut it down. Another Republican colleague saying we shouldn't fear a government shutdown. Most Americans won't even miss it. And the leader of the Republican Party, the former president, saying, quote, Unless you get everything, shut it down. Make no mistake about it. We are here because certain members on the other side of the aisle want a shutdown. They even said they want a shutdown. And why should we be surprised about that? Ever since uh, I was in high school 30 years ago, we've had five government shutdowns. All five took place under House Republican leadership. When Democrats are in charge of the House, zero government shutdowns during that same time period. That was Pennsylvania House Democrat Brendan Boyle uh, responding on Tuesday to Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson during debate over the GOP threat to, yes, shut it all down. But unless House Republicans can come up with a deal with other House Republicans in a matter of days, the federal government will shut down as of Saturday for lack of a spending bill in the new fiscal year, which begins October 1. As many news outlets uh, I've seen have been sort of lazily reporting on congressional lawmakers who can't agree on spending levels or dysfunction in D.C. without making clear which party these dysfunctional lawmakers are actually from, I, I want to make it clear from the jump here who it is that I at least see as the complete cause of this dysfunction in D.C. and this threat to shut down the federal government. And that is the, a radical far-right House Republican Party majority in utter disarray, which can't even come to an agreement among its own members. We shall see if our guest, joining me momentarily, who knows far more about all of this than I do, agrees. That dangerously lazy reporting, at least as I see it, is in no small part uh, the reason that, according to a new morning consult poll out today, only one in three voters would blame congressional Republicans for a shutdown. The rest, if you believe the polling, are convinced it's Democrats' fault somehow, with the polling finding 23% would blame President Joe Biden and 21% would blame Democrats in Congress. How can that be? 
As we go to air, the Democratic-controlled U.S. Senate is charging ahead with a bipartisan package to temporarily fund the government as Republicans in the House press ahead with a seemingly futile effort to pass a number of smaller spending bills with, as AP reports, no real chance of finishing by Saturday's deadline. A shutdown would furlough millions of federal employees, leave the military without pay, disrupt air travel and cut off vital safety net services. And if AP is right, would be politically punishing to lawmakers whose job it is to fund the government. Any lawmakers in particular, AP, or just a pox on all of their houses? As uh, AP notes, President Biden, a Democrat, by the way, earlier this year reached a budget deal with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy that became law in order to avoid the GOP's threat several months ago of sending the entire U.S. government into default for the first time in history by refusing to raise the debt ceiling to pay for all of the stuff that Congress and presidents of both parties have already agreed to and bought over many years. So the president believes that it is now up to the House Republicans to deliver on their earlier promise to avoid a government shutdown as of October 1. Late Tuesday, the Senate pushed ahead in bipartisan fashion to advance a temporary continuing resolution, or CR as it's known, to keep the government up and running through November 17 to allow time for a full new budget package. It would maintain, the CR would maintain funding at the current levels with a $6 billion addition for Ukraine and $6 billion for U.S. disaster relief, among other provisions. But that measure faces long, if not impossible, odds in the House. McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, pushed by a hard right flank that rejects the deal he made with Biden earlier this year, is now demanding draconian spending cuts and they have shown no interest in the Senate's bipartisan effort. McCarthy is reviving plans for the House Republicans' own stopgap measure to slash federal spending by 8% for many agencies and include uh, new hard-line border security measures, even though the package would be dead on arrival in the Senate and at the White House. Of course, McCarthy could invite House Democrats to help pass that bipartisan Senate CR, but he fears for good reason that if he did the right thing for the American people, he would be removed from his hard-won post as Speaker uh, by the House GOP's far-right contingent. So have we ever seen anything like this in congressional history? Our guest will let us know in a moment. Meanwhile, the criminally indicted former president is urging House Republicans to just shut it all down, recently instructing them on social media in all caps, so you know he means it, quote, unless you get everything, shut it down. Trump lackey and hard-right Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates said on Fox News that a shutdown is not optimal, but, quote, it's better than continuing on the current path that we are to America's financial ruin. Really? Financial ruin? Gates uh, has also threatened to call a vote to oust McCarthy from his job if he and a handful of others in the GOP's narrow majority do not get everything they want, all of which seems to virtually guarantee 
that the federal government is headed for another shutdown, potentially a lengthy one this time as of this weekend. Is Republican governing by threats and hostage taking and shutdowns now the new normal whenever they control a majority in one or both chambers at this point? Is this shutdown threat any different from what has come before? And frankly, is there any way out at this point for the good of the American people, at least without House Speaker Kevin McCarthy being pushed out of his job by his own party and potentially replaced with an even farther right and more dysfunctional speaker installed in his place? Here to uh, speak to all of that and more is longtime congressional historian and political scientist Norm Ornstein, a fellow emeritus at the Conservative American Enterprise Institute, where he has been studying politics, elections, and the U.S. Congress for more than four decades, in addition to his widely published opinion pieces pretty much everywhere over the years. Dr. Ornstein is the author of many books, including with Thomas Mann, It's Even Worse Than It Looks, How the American Constitutional System Collided with the New Politics of Extremism. That sounds relevant. And more recently, One Nation After Trump, a guide for the perplexed, the disillusioned, the desperate, and the not yet deported. That does, too. Oh, Norm Ornstein, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Good to be with you, Brad. So before we get into the blame game, I would like to learn a few things from history and previous shutdowns, if we can. As I understand it, Government officials who are furloughed during these shutdowns, ultimately, they all get paid for the time that they were off. So does it actually save taxpayers any money when this happens? And and who is ultimately hurt by these sorts of partial government shutdowns, as you see it? It doesn't save the government any money at all, Brad. It's uh, a, a performative thing, uh, as you pointed out. Um, and I should note that while the government employees who are furloughed do get reimbursed ultimately, we're talking about a whole lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck, mm. who may have to go months where mortgage payments become due, rent, food on the table, school tuition, all kinds of other expenses with no income coming in. Mm. Some of them are going to go more deeply into credit card debt and will have to pay much more. Interest rates, as everybody knows, are higher now. They may have to take out loans. They may have to hope that banks and uh, uh, landlords will be kinder and gentler with them. But then there's another element here that rarely gets talk, talked about. Um, you know, I go into federal buildings a fair amount, still do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see uh, security people at the desks. You walk through and you find people who are cleaning the offices. Mm-hmm. They're not government employees. They're contractors. The contractors are going to be laid off during this time, mm. but they don't have any ability to get reimbursed. This is basically just losing income. Mm. Remember, these are people who are, in some cases, making minimum wage or maybe just a little bit above. Uh, this is not a harm-free zone that we're entering into. Mm. And it not only doesn't save the government money, in some instances, because functions will be postponed, maintenance will not be done, ultimately it's probably going to cost more. 
So the people who are pushing this, and we can get into the blame game, mm-hmm. entirely on House Republicans, egged on by Donald Trump, uh, they're hypocrites at minimum. They're not really talking about savings for the government. They're talking about bringing the whole uh, mechanism down because they hate government. Yeah, and so uh, as as you uh, sort of to summarize it, this uh, a shutdown will actually be good for banks and credit card companies, big corporations. It'll be bad for working people. Uh, and yet, uh, given that in uh, you know in modern times over the past thirty years or more, these shutdowns seem to only occur when Republicans are in charge of one of the chambers of Congress, as uh, Congressman Boyle pointed uh, out at at the top in my intro. There is it fair to call these at this point Republican shutdowns, or is this a failure of both parties? As uh, frankly, I think too much of the reporting I've seen seems to suggest accidentally or otherwise. Uh, the reporting fits the usual pattern of both sidesism mm-hmm. and plenty of headlines. Congress fails. <laughs> Government fails. It is entirely on these House Republicans. And let me say that while it's pushed by the crazy faction or the more lunatic faction of the Freedom Caucus, don't let Kevin McCarthy off the hook here. Mm. Kevin McCarthy walked away from the agreement that he and other Republicans Mm -hmm. and President Biden and Democrats all agreed to when they avoided a default, a debt ceiling breach. Mm -hmm. uh, And that set in place funding levels for agencies going forward. McCarthy, who is a complete moral coward, walked away from it because of the threats coming from these Freedom Caucus people. And now when we have even, you know, it's a Band-Aid. We have a, uh, this uh, bill that passed the Senate with 77 votes uh-huh. that would basically punt uh, the issue for 45 days, hoping that in the meantime, you might at least be able to get some of the 12 appropriations bills done, keep some parts of the government open, Uh, throughout the next fiscal year, which starts on October 1, uh, and also provides a little additional money, both for border security and for Ukraine. Uh, And Kevin McCarthy won't even bring it up for a vote on the floor. It would pass in the House. Now, it would pass with more Democrats than Republicans. And looming over all of this, of course, is the concession that McCarthy had to make on the 15th ballot to become Speaker Uh, which is this motion to vacate the speakership that now can be done by any single member and force a vote uh, to remove him from the speakership. So trying to avoid that uh, as much as he possibly can. And and I want to ask about uh, the situation with McCarthy, but let me get one point. That that deal that McCarthy made with Biden, McCarthy and other Republicans made with uh, the president earlier this year, uh, was supposed to avoid this from happening. Were there no triggers somehow built into that agreement that if Republicans could not, uh, or if you know Congress itself could not pass uh, a spending bill at the end of the fiscal year, that something else would kick in—a new, uh, you know, a, a decrease in spending levels yes. or something like that? There is looming over this um, a, a a trigger, and that trigger would, of course, 
cut uh, discretionary spending by a fairly small amount, but it would cut defense by even more. And once again, the idea here was to make it more painful mm -hmm. for those who were more inclined to do shutdowns. And, you know, just to circle back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, Brad, every shutdown that we've had has been triggered by Republicans. Every threat, serious and real threat to the debt ceiling, uh, to the full faith and credit of the United States has been brought about by Republicans. Government by blackmail, government by hostage taking is now a core part of their uh, strategy. And the ones who suffer are average Americans. If that morning consult poll the, that I cited is correct, with one in three Americans blaming Republicans for a possible shutdown, two out of three Americans, however, blaming either uh, President Biden or congressional de uh, Democrats, how can that be? And who is to blame? I mean, given what we know about history, given what we know about what is actually going on right now, uh, how can it be? Who is to blame? Is that a media failing? Is that a Democratic Party failing? Or is it something ingenious about what the Republicans are doing here, which seems uh, the most unlikely? But I, I leave that to you. You know, I, I want to look uh, at the uh, uh, internals uh -huh. of that because— you would expect that a third of Americans would blame Democrats. And what's that third? Trumpists and Republicans. Mm -hmm. Under no circumstances are they going to blame their own party for this, no matter what the reality is. So if it turns out that in that poll, the uh, portion of those who blame uh, Biden or blame Democrats are mostly self-identified Republicans, that's to be expected. To whatever degree it moves beyond those, I think we're reflecting on a couple of things. One is a whole lot of people who don't pay attention to who's responsible. They only know what happens on the ground. The second is the media. The media are uh, mainstream media I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about cable networks and, uh, and uh, broadcast networks and major newspapers and magazines and the like, they are loath to put the blame on one party, even when that is the reality. The overwhelming desire to both sides this or to try and blame the institution, yeah. and we've seen New York Times headlines that reflect that, is very strong. And a part of this, to be frank, is that the reporters who cover Congress and that a lot of what we're getting in this coverage around the, you know, motive, uh, the, the machinations of what's going on are veteran reporters who've been covering Congress for some time. They rely on contacts in both parties. Yeah. They do not want to lose their access, their access so, journalism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's both sides journalism with access journalism. Now, there's another brutal reality. I think it's become harder for them to do this because, uh, as Brendan said in the excerpt that you used, you have too many Republicans who are going out there and saying, hey, we're doing this. Right. Uh, so uh, they have a harder time doing that. But, you know, let's face another reality. The shutdown occurs. It's entirely possible that 
more voters than not are going to look at Republicans who are doing this and blame them. And if you are a House Republican from a district that Biden won or where it's highly contestable and there are you know, about 20 of those, mm-hmm. not going to be happy with this. The reason you got 77 senators to sign on to this attempt to at least bypass things for 45 days and why you have a clear filibuster proof majority of Republicans who want to just go back to the earlier agreement is Senate Republicans who are up for reelection don't want to have this hanging over them. Right. But if, if this triggers a recession, if this triggers more dislocation for people, uh, you know, if in fact the shutdown, which has occurred in the past, really impinges on people's lives and it lasts for any length of time. Joe Biden is not going to escape from it unscathed. Well, when do, when do those triggers that you had mentioned earlier uh, that that were supposed to be in that agreement with with McCarthy? When do those kick in? Do uh, ever? <laughs> what happens? Yeah. I thought they were supposed to kick in if there was a shutdown. Yeah, they are theoretically supposed to kick in if there's a shutdown, but it doesn't occur immediately. It takes a little period of time. Mm. Uh, and I tell you, I actually think. Um, The old uh, stereotype is that Republicans care about defense. These uh, Freedom Caucus people who want to pull out of Ukraine, um, who criticize the woke military, Mm -hmm. not said word one about Donald Trump calling for the execution (laughs) of Mark Milley, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I don't think they give a damn whether the defense budget is cut. They prefer to cut all government. So we may well see some of these things happen. You know, there's one other thing that's worth mentioning here. That, that these these people want a shutdown because they're, uh, this is not an ideology. It's a theology. The theology is government is evil. Government is bad. Lose government. We get freedom uh, without regard to the realities in the real world and on the ground. Uh, you know, they're very happy to have chaos uh, out there. But what also has to be remembered here is of the cuts that House Republican Freedom Caucus people are calling for, they want to cut the single largest, the component that takes up half of what they want cut back in discretionary domestic spending. That means spending on domestic policy other than the big programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Mm -hmm. farm subsidies and the like, they want an 80 percent cut in Title I school funding, (laughs) the funding that goes to the poorest areas, the underserved and underprivileged areas. They are making it very clear what their priorities are and what they are not. And one that is not a priority is caring at all about poorer people and trying to give them the resources that they need to be productive and to fulfill their uh, skills and their uh, talents and their qualities. And there is a strong element of race in that. But I know you couldn't be right, because I I know that uh, we've been hearing nothing else other than Republicans are looking out for the kids. They're looking out for our children uh, that, you know, and uh, it it can't be that they actually want to cut funding to to poor people and to children and to schools. That can't be. Uh, Norm, we we've seen uh, 
at least in in modern times, have we ever seen a situation like is this? So what what I'm trying to get at here is this historically uh, different? Uh, have we seen again in modern times any time when one party? in Congress cannot agree with itself over a spending bill like this and where essentially the uh, party's speaker, Kevin McCarthy in this case, is you know threatened with being removed as speaker by his own party if he dares to reach out to the other party for an agreement, uh, simply in this case for a continuing resolution to try to keep the government open as Republicans bicker amongst themselves. This seems to be different than what we have seen in the past, but you have studied it closer than I, because I'm wondering, even with those both sides, uh, mainstream corporate media out there types who you know don't want to lose their access, even they seems like they could see that this is something very different that needs to be reported to the American people, unless I'm wrong. You know, you're partly wrong, Brad. Mm -hmm. uh, go back to 1995-96. Newt Gingrich was the speaker. He engineered a shutdown over the Christmas and New Year's holiday that lasted for something like 28 days, if I recall. I might be wrong on the number of days. And it was all to bring Bill Clinton to his knees and to show. Uh, and, you know, back then it was the radical uh, Gingrich-led House Republicans who had taken the majority, mm -hmm. that they were in charge, they could bring him to his knees, they could force all kinds of compromises to get tax cuts and spending cuts, and it flamed out, failed miserably, and ultimately uh, ended up with Gingrich losing his speakership. Uh, that was not as bad as this, in a sense, because we now have even more radical members, but it was a harbinger of things to come. Then go to uh, 2010 and 2011, where uh, the Tea Party egged on by then Young Guns, Kevin McCarthy, yes. Paul Ryan, uh, Eric Cantor, uh, tried to use the debt ceiling as a hostage to force Barack Obama to bend to their demands, and that failed. But it was another instance of this movement towards using the threat of chaos, of shutdown, of default uh, as hostages. And even back then, Mitch McConnell said uh, that the debt ceiling was a hostage worth taking. Mm -hmm. uh, and you get to the last shutdown before this, which happened when Republicans had the House, the Senate and the Trump presidency. And once again, it was the more radical members. But mm. that something that I think was a harbinger of where we are now. This not trying to bring uh, Donald Trump to his knees. It was trying to bring the entire Republican establishment down by the more radical members. And that was the longest lasting shutdown that we've had and resulted in absolutely nothing happening. No concessions made, just the disruption. Mm. But that, I think, tells us that we've been on a trajectory here that is leading us further and further away from adults, at least those who understand that no one uh, is going to gain politically from a shutdown, uh, to a, a position now where we're basically being driven by the lunatic fringe. 
We we certainly are. Uh, Norm Ornstein, i got to let you go in, in a minute or two here. I want to ask, uh, see if I can get in two quick questions. Donald Trump, uh, in, in egging the, the party on, saying, unless you get everything, shut it down. Uh, he also said, close the border, stop the weaponization of justice. Uh, so he you know, says that unless they get everything, they should shut down the government. This would also, he suggests, shut down the federal cases against him, I guess. That's what he means by weaponization of the Justice Department, as ridiculously as, you know, as that is. But uh, why does he want the government to shut down? And will it actually pause the federal criminal cases against him in any way? The answer to the latter question is no. Donald Trump is an ignoramus when it comes to what actually happens inside government. Four years as president made no impact on that. Uh, First, uh, Jack Smith, the independent uh, counsel who is bringing the prosecution of Trump on uh, January 6th uh, and related charges in Washington, is funded out of a separate pool, not out of a Justice Department appropriation. Second, other federal prosecutors uh, fit under the rubric of essential services. And so those are kept open even during a shutdown. We're not going to stop prosecuting criminals or even call them alleged criminals during this period of time. And third, don't forget that Tish James, uh, uh, Bonnie Willis, yeah. and the in New York and in Georgia are not federal officials. They are not affected directly by these shutdowns. So Trump wants to figure out a way to stop them from prosecuting him, somehow hit on shutting down the government. Uh, And uh, of course, he's completely wrong. Um, And not the first time, and it won't be the last one. (laughs) No, it won't. Uh, Nor before you go, and I got a a short question, probably requires a a difficult long answer, but we only got a minute or two. I do not see any easy way, ultimately, out of this particular mess, at least without, you know, McCarthy ultimately being ousted from his post. Even then, it's unclear that they'll be able to overcome this shutdown do you see any path forward or are we in for uh, another very long shutdown at this point? Well, first, you know, there's a 0.1% chance that they punt for 45 days, but then we're back to the same old problem. That's not likely to happen. We're going to have a shutdown. What McCarthy is counting on is that the shutdown as it goes on is going to cause enough pain to Republicans out there those who depend on government services like keeping national parks open utah would you know be hurt significantly by that mm. you know the museums uh, that rely on some federal funds where the boards are all prominent republicans yeah. other services where rank and file uh, voters are going to be upset and that at some point enough republicans in the house will come to him and say you got to stop this and that means bringing up something that's going to rely on Democratic votes. Then there will be a uh, quickly a motion to vacate. And then McCarthy's only hope is that he can somehow persuade all but four Republicans to stick with him. Very unlikely at that point. Or that he goes to Democrats and tries to cut a deal where they will keep him in the speakership with the idea being that uh, the alternative uh, would be much worse. That's not 
work unless he makes significant concessions to them, which would only further inflame Republicans. So he's in deep trouble. And we may be calling you Norm Ornstein when that happens, uh, when that vote to vacate happens, because I I suspect uh, as well that that is what lies ahead. Norm Ornstein, of course, the longtime congressional historian uh, and uh, fellow senior fellow emeritus at the American Enterprise Institute. His books just in time. You can get them in time for uh, Hanukkah or Christmas at this point. It's even worse than it looks. And One Nation After Trump. Follow him on the uh, site still known as Twitter at Norm Ornstein. Norm, always great speaking with you, my friend. Look forward to uh, doing it again soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Are you ready for a shutdown, Des? I, I think... sadly think we're going to have one, yep. and it's probably going to last a long time, mm. too, unfortunately. And, you know, there have been a lot of news articles out that are telling people, hey, you know, it's a great time to prepare for a possible government shutdown. And uh, just reminding people that a Republican shutdown will impact different parts of people's lives. So essential services will continue to run. Social Security checks, Medicare checks will still go out. But, Good. however, if this lasts a long time, that lack of funding can result in delays in processing and distribution of those payments. So get ready for that. Uh, some SNAP and food assistance for infants and children will be halted. Oh, some of Lord. these uh, programs have reserve funds, but if this lasts a long time, those will start to be cut off. So they do warn people to prepare yourself financially. Now is a good time to postpone large purchases, to reevaluate your budget, and cut unnecessary expenses, especially if the government shutdown impacts you directly financially um, it's a good time to ask your uh, lenders about payment options and hopefully they will be nice to you and there are also um, nonprofit and community-based organizations that are offering assistance during government shutdowns and if you have the capacity now is a good time to donate to food banks and all of this has already been over the past week or so, it seems, uh, shaking up the markets, which have not been doing yes, very well. It will so. have a very big impact on the U.S. economy. Um, the previous shutdown uh, cut U.S. Uh, output by $11 billion, and it cost $3 billion to the U.S. economy. That was never regained. Look at the bright side. You'll have late-night comedy shows to watch mm. as the nation falls apart. Anyway, I blame Joe Biden. All right, we got to get out. My thanks again to Norm Ornstein and to my producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or want to hear it again or want to share it with someone you know, you can do so anytime for free via bradblog.com. Drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here tomorrow with special coverage of the second GOP presidential primary debate, like it or not. All right, that's it. We'll see you. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.